Hey, thanks for joining us today. We believe God's going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. So send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com, and let us know what He's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, you can go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. The New Testament is full of people who encountered Jesus. Now, when I say encountered, it's not like, hey, honey, I ran into an interesting person today at work. No, no, no. It was like a nuclear collision. And whoever had this encounter didn't go home unchanged, but changed. They were either full of joy or they were angry. It was life or death, but it was not ignored whatever happened. And so these people are brought face-to-face with a choice between life and death. So for the next four weeks, and in all of our new connecting groups that starts this week, I hope you'll get in one, we're going to look at these four people and look at their encounter with Jesus. And my hope is that all of us will have our own transforming encounter. So sounds all safe right now. Just hang on. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. A leper came to Jesus begging and kneeling and said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do choose. Be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus sternly warned him and sent him away at once, saying, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony. But instead, he went out and began to proclaim the good news freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into any town openly, but stayed out in the country. People were coming to him from every quarter. I used to wonder, how come everybody was attracted to Jesus and very few percentage of people are attracted to church? Just by the way, you know, They say that the gospel is the greatest story ever told. I'd like to amend it and say it's the greatest story ever half told, not fully told, because the fullness of it is going to destroy a lot of nonsense that we see in churches and a lot of the walls and division that we see in churches that just are not in the Bible. So cheer up, this is going to get worse. When I was a little boy, I mean a little boy, knee-high to a grasshopper, For some reason, we all knew there was a dreaded disease in the world. It wasn't mumps or chicken pox. Uh, There was no vaccine for it. There was no antidote or cure that we knew about. We all knew as little boys it was highly contagious, and nobody ever told you what would happen if you contracted the disease. So the only way to be safe was to make sure that the carrier of this disease was strictly quarantined and that you had no contact with them at all. And that disease was carried only by little girls. So it was easy to recognize. And we called it cooties. Does anybody remember? See, all a carrier had to do was touch you, breathe on you, look at you real hard, and boom, you're infected. Nobody, nobody was crazy enough to touch anybody with cooties. It was like every carrier wore a great big sign, don't touch. 
Well, now that I'm married with two daughters and one granddaughter, I live in Cootieville. <laughs> Even adults have cooties. I'm arguing with your wife. You want to make up? She's still mad. You reach out to hug her to connect with her. And what does she say? Don't touch me. Keep your slimy, filthy, inconsiderate, sex-crave, repulsive hands off of me, Quasimoto. And in one moment, you know you got cooties. You are untouchable. And folks, on the spiritual side, we live in a world where there are millions of untouchable people. When I ministered years ago in the nation of India, I discovered it's built on a caste system. If you're the lowest caste, you're called untouchable. And to touch was unthinkable. You could die by touching an untouchable. Now, the truth about our world is that in every society, there are untouchables. In every church, unfortunately. People who, because of their race, their socioeconomic status, their language, their education, or their physical appearance are at the lowest rung of the ladder. When I came in, one very lovely, nice senior lady said, you've lost weight. And I said, no, I just have Phil Del Rosa walk around with me, and I look smaller. It's an illusion. <laughs> Phil, Phil didn't like that. <clears throat> so this is a story about how Jesus feels about the untouchable people. So the guy comes up to Jesus. He's got this leprosy. Leprosy would appear as patches on the skin, which were horrifying to the person who saw him. We knew, they knew instantly, I've got a death sentence, no cure. And those patches would grow into nodules or lumps around the face so that in time, the person would look unrecognizable. And then they would ulcerate. And then there'd be a foul stench coming from the person's body. Eventually, the eyebrows would fall off, the vocal cords would ulcerate, the voice would become hoarse, breathing would become wheezing, and then would call, come what we call the loss of sensation. The horrible part about losing sensation is losing pain. And what happens to these people out in a street or sleeping, rats would chew off their fingers and toes, and the leper would have no sensation of pain at all. And then finally, there would come the loss of mental function. And then due to a number of medical complications, it would result in a coma and then death. So leprosy was a death sentence. Now listen to Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes. Now that would exempt all of our millennial worship leaders up here. <laughs> that appears to be the fashion, but in the Bible... The law said, if you got leprosy, you got to wear torn clothes. Let the hair of his head be disheveled. Cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, so you wouldn't come near me. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, you get a little picture there of what life must have been like for any human being that was leprous. Now, the rabbis went from this and developed a strategy of isolation. If a leper came into somebody's house in Jesus' day, that house was deemed unclean. So it had to be destroyed or burned in fire because the leper had been inside it. If you touched the leper, you were now deemed unclean. You were defiled. 
So imagine what it would be like to be a leper, never being touched for the rest of your life, not by a friend, not by a child, not by a spouse. And the law, oh, the law was real clear. Don't touch. Leprosy wasn't just about physical loss. There was a moral stigma to it. It was widely believed to involve the curse of God. When people would get other diseases, if they got cured, they were spoken of as being healed, but not leprosy. For a leper, he had to be cleansed. Lepers weren't just sick. They were declared unclean. They were defiled. Now, rabbis were so clean that they would never get near a leper. That's why the leper in our story doesn't just walk up to Jesus. He comes to Jesus, falls on his knees, begging him. There's desperation, urgency here. So he falls on his knees, he pleads with Jesus, and he's very much aware he's violating the law and even approaching this rabbi, Jesus. So there's We look at a desperate act of a desperate man who's got nowhere to turn, nothing to lose. He's going to lay it all out there. That's why he phrases the question like this. If you choose, you can make me clean. So he has no doubt about Jesus' power. He doesn't say, if you are able. He recognizes Jesus' authority. He comes with a deep sense of shame and a sense of his own personal unworthiness. He's not supposed to be there. He's unclean. He said, if you're willing, if for some inexplicable twist of fate, you might just want to help a leper. So this isn't just a nice story about healing. This is shocking stuff, scandalous. This is disease. This is one right out of our headlines. A death sentence could be like AIDS. So the question is, how's Jesus going to handle it? Well, the law is very clear. Don't touch. Don't come near. And religious leaders chose in that day a strategy of isolation. Lepers, Gentiles, tax collectors, women, uncircumcised, Republicans, Democrats, don't touch. So the strategy for spiritual development was isolate myself. And you don't think churches have done that? They'll make you feel you, oh, they, won't, they may not bar you from coming in, but they'll make sure you know you ain't one of us. I told you about meeting the young lady who is a Ph.D. from Jamaica. She had dreadlocks on. She and I sat together at Discount Tire a year ago, and she told me about going into a very fashionable, wealthy church over near the rim, and she said they told her very clearly in the lobby, you're not our kind of people. And I looked at little sweetie, and I said, baby, we are. We are. And she's now teaching in a school. And I thought, imagine that. And you don't think that goes on. That goes on all the time. Racism, bigotry, prejudice, uh, political affiliation, one way or the other. That is not what Jesus made the church to be. That's your civil right. But that is not your kingdom right in the church. And somehow, trying to get that off of you is the hardest thing I ever did. Because most people have been so messed up by religious people, they don't know the difference in Jesus' approach versus a political or civil approach. I'm trying, baby. I got 30 hours of jet lag. I am trying. Okay. So isolation was the spiritual strategy, the way to avoid sin and suffering. Just separates you from people and places where sin and suffering happen. 
Just live in a spiritual quarantine. Now, I understand in the natural, I understand the appeal of isolation. The truth about sin is it is contagious. It's infectious. You get around a bunch of complaining people, and pretty soon you'll find yourself complaining. You get around doubt and unbelief and fear. It's toxic. Pretty soon everybody's chicken little and afraid or doubting or unbelief. And it would be nice if we could live in a bubble away from all that infection in the world. I think parents, above all, understand the destructiveness in our world that's potentially deadly for our children. And you'd like to put up a sign on the front door, hey, Sparky, if you are into substance abuse, casual sex, destruction of property, dropping out, stay out. You are quarantined. Yeah, we wish. And I doubt I'm the only father that could put up a, wishes he could put up a big sign around his daughters when they hit the dating age that said, hey, don't touch, quarantine. Yeah. Well, you get the picture. So throughout history, religious people, sadly, have chosen the strategy of isolation. How'd you vote? Yeah. Well, what do you believe about? What do you believe about? which just means I'm going to put my walls up, you know, whichever way. That's what we build the church on. God, is awful. That's why I never wanted to be in this job. I appreciate you appreciating me, but if you knew how much I didn't want to do this job, you wouldn't appreciate me so much. So avoid sinful people, avoid the world, live in religious quarantine. However, <clears throat> note, Jesus coming to the earth in the flesh says that God has forever rejected any idea of a strategy of isolation. Now, there are several miracles in the story. Let's just start with the first one. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. His job is to make sure the law is understood and followed. So a rabbi is the last person a leper would ever want to come in contact with or see. So a leper would know you'd get stoned for breaking this law. The rabbis in Jesus' day prided themselves on being unapproachable. They thought of themselves as being so close to God that common sinners, lepers, the unclean, should not even be allowed to get close to them. Now, the funny thing is, there's only one rabbi in history a leper could approach, and that rabbi was God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Think about that. This is a quality Jesus has rabbis and preachers don't seem to have. Jesus is eminently approachable, and not just with lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, and Gentile pagans. I know you don't care, but I've many times sat around with a coffee table with other people talking, and I said, how come all these bad people felt good around Jesus and avoid church? What happened to us somewhere that we're to avoid these bad people? That somehow we only want people in here like we don't have bad people in here. <laughs> Starting with me. Yeah. So uh, Jesus showed how approachable God was. He's the most approachable person that ever walked on earth. He demonstrated that true spirituality makes you more approachable, not less approachable. Jesus came in part to reveal that God, who people thought was totally unapproachable, is in fact high touch. And that is the heart of where we at Summit want to be as a church. Our goal is to create a place where people feel the freedom to approach God. 
I don't want them to feel out. I want them to feel in. Now, I'm not sanctioning bad behavior, but I'm saying if somebody is an unbeliever or far from God, they can still feel in your presence accepted or judged. How do they feel around you? There are Christians I don't want to go near, and I'm a Christian. I can't stand it. And I want, even if you don't agree yet, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're not sure, maybe you got hurt, maybe you had a bad impression about the church, like who didn't, for God's sake, we messed that thing up so bad, then I want people, I've said it many times, I don't care if you're a stripper to a gentleman's club or whatever, nothing's going to change in your life if we don't have some sort of contact, nothing. We got to make a friendship first. I want you to know, oh, I do feel comfortable around Rick. I don't feel judged. I know he's not where I am, but... I know he does, he does care about me. Well, that's the way they felt about Jesus. He, they, it says the biggest criticism they could throw at him was he's a friend of publicans and sinners. Yeah. yeah. Think about that. And of course, Jesus was not white, didn't have blonde hair or blue eyes. I know in all your Sunday school books I grew up with, I had a metrosexual Jesus, you know, <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes, whiter than the, the Clinique girl at, at Dillard's. Uh, doing makeup. Do you see how we mess this up? Really? You see why really these people stay away from Summit? Yeah, I can see. Yeah, I don't blame them. So, here's a good question for all of you. Me, for all of us. Are you becoming more approachable or less approachable? A good way to gauge your own spiritual development in life is to look at the people around you. Now, remember, I said, I'm not saying you compromise on a moral issue or you give less commitment to truth. Absolutely not. The question is, am I becoming more approachable or less approachable? Jesus, who was perfect, Jesus, who was God, found sinners coming out of the woodwork to get him to touch them. Jesus drew these people to him. Rabbis, religious people, pushed them away. And we go on here in Mark 10, verse 13. He talks about little children coming to Jesus. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And remember the disciples' response? No, no. These little children are not on the big agenda. They're not important. Don't bother the master. And when Jesus sees it, he gets angry. He's indignant. He says, you let those little children to come to me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he picked them up and blessed them. I'd like him to pick up my kids in the nursery and bless them. I'd like him to pick me up and bless me. How about you? And yet, you see here, the religious entourage said, don't bother the master. You're not important enough to uh, have any contact with him. So Jesus gets really upset and angry about it. Jesus speaks to people, and he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavily laden. Here's approachability. Come to me. Don't stay away from me. Come to me. Jesus is waiting for people to approach him. And Jesus is waiting for you this morning to approach him. There's some people in this room, and you feel like you don't deserve to approach him. Well, join the club. Who of us is? I think we don't approach Jesus oftentimes because we forget that we can. You just do what the leper did. You forget all the barriers. You run to Jesus. You fall down before him. You ask him to heal you, cleanse you, forgive you, save you, empower you, or touch you. And the amazing thing is... The leper comes to Jesus while he's still a leper. He knew he was unworthy. That's why he begged. And so often we think, I got to get cleaned up first. 
Then I can come to Jesus. I got to get rid of this nasty boyfriend first. Then I can come to Jesus. I got to get rid of my leprosy first. Now, if that leper had ever thought he had to get rid of leprosy before he came to Jesus, he would never have come to him, ever. Or people say, well, I got to get my spiritual life together first. Well, welcome to the club. I'm still getting mine together. I don't know about you. Are you kidding me? You think anybody in shoe leather has got their whole act together? You must be from another planet. It's a process of growth and development. It's a process of sanctification. There ain't nobody walking around glowing in the dark. I got to get my spiritual life together first, or I've got to defeat some sin in my life. Then I can approach him. Where does it say that? It does not say that. The only time to approach Jesus is exactly when you need him. It's right now. It's precisely when you're aware of the fact you aren't worthy. That's a good place to start. All you have to do is fall on your knees spiritually. Here's the problem, Lord. I know I'm not worthy. And you're like the terrible publican who, who said, <coughs> put his head down, beat his chest, and said, God, have mercy on me, you know, I'll sinner. He did, and, the, and the Pharisee said, well, we tithe and we give and we come to church and we've never committed adultery and we haven't been drunk and we're not as this publican. And all the publican says, God, be merciful to me. I suck. I know it. God says, good. And Jesus looked at the crowd, the religious people, and then the, the bad guy. And he said, guess which one went home justified, just as if he had never sinned? The bad boy. And the religious people got nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, my brother. I'm going to stay over here by you. I got one supporter over here. I told you, this is dangerous stuff. It just gets worse. So you come to him when you need him and forget about all these barriers. He knows what your problems are. He knows the hang-up you have. He knows the sin you have not overcome. So there's the miracle of approachability. Then another miracle is his touch, his touch. Remember, the law, the Mosaic law is very clear. Don't touch. Don't go near this leper with a 10-foot pole. And this leper, who's been looked on by society with disgust and repulsion, looks into Jesus' eyes, and it says in Mark 1, I think it's verse 41, he was moved with compassion. So the question is, which came first, touching or healing? Well, look at the Scripture, touching. Jesus could have done it any way he wanted to. He had the power, but he touches the leper before he heals him. You know, folks you got to befriend somebody before you can actually convince them of something. We, we come on to them as Christians, and the first thing is you got to win friendship. When I sit on a plane, when I'm in a business meeting, when I meet people out or I make a speech or a talk to a secular group on vision or purpose, and I do it pretty often, I never tell. I tell, don't tell these people I'm a preacher or they will shut down because they all have preconceived ideas about my judgmentalism or where I'm coming from or how terrible and guilty this is going to make them feel. Don't start there. I start by winning the person to friendship, and later, much later, they discover, are you kidding me? You're a preacher. Well, the door's wide open. Now they already like me, they already trust me, and I'm free to talk, and they don't feel condemned or judged, and the door's open to cross it. So you got to be a friend first, not a sanctified, stuck-up saint walking around holier than everybody. You're not going to win anybody that way. Jesus didn't do it. So the law said, don't touch. Well, 
Who made the law? God. Who's Jesus? God in the flesh. So this is God breaking his own law. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. You see that? Jesus didn't need to touch the guy at all. But Jesus is making a statement to the leper and to all of us who read this. The significance of the miracle of touch is that Jesus is willing to share another person's suffering in order to bring about healing in their life. He didn't have to do that. That's the same dynamic that happened on the cross when Jesus took our sin, our death, our punishment, so that we could take on his life, forgiveness, and by his stripes be healed. If you're not willing to suffer the reproach of other people to, 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 to get to them the good news, you're going to forever be unlike Jesus. I remember in Waco, Texas, a very famous and prominent preacher when we were renting a flea market on Bandera Road 30 years ago was caught in a homosexual affair with the largest church uh, on the Baylor University campus. Great guy, by the way, but he, he was married, had kids, but obviously he had a problem. And they threw him out. And we found, and I knew him through James Robinson, so I just picked up, here I am renting a building, have no big name, no big power, no big budget, but I called him, and I gave him my name, and I said, I'm just calling to say, what can we do to help you? And he just burst into sobs on the phone. And from that, from that our church picked him up, and for six months, this church paid his salary, brought his wife and he down here, put him on the front row with Cindy and I over here so he was included after all the shame. Do you know I had people actually send me back, uh, back then albums, CDs, and want their money back because I was helping this guy. I loved it. I loved it. You don't want to know what I said, but we paid every one of them back. And I thought, brother, you can just kiss whatever. I thought, I am glad to bear his reproach, not condone his sin, and to help that brother. Then other people, James Robinson, several people up in Dallas area suddenly got on the bandwagon after we did it, and they began to help. But I thought, I guess I was bearing the reproach and shame of being associated with somebody of ill repute. Now, if Jesus is not ashamed to associate with you, what, who, who are you to say, I cannot have any contact at all with somebody that's got a little bit of a past or has had a major problem? It's not going to make me sin. I'm, be nice to everybody, you know? Shoot, we've all been in that place. So Jesus did not call for his church or his followers, to live in a quarantine zone. Imagine a hospital where the rule is no germs allowed. Imagine a hospital where doctors say, this has been a successful day. I was not infected. My patients were loaded with filthy germs, but I kept them all out of the hospital. They all died, but I didn't touch any of them. <laughs> what? Can you see how stupid this is? So we're called to... We aren't called as a church to avoid infection. We're supposed to be infecting the culture. So we're called to win souls. So to avoid suffering and infection of others and call ourselves a success is to make a mockery of the cross. We live in a world where sin and suffering and pain are contagious. So we learn to keep our distance. And if you get too close to somebody, you might get infected by their pain or their scandal or their reproach. And it might not be comfortable. 
So Jesus reaches out, touches this guy while he's still unclean with leprosy. I remember going to an antique store on two occasions, not of my own will, but my wife. You ain't ever going to find me there. What are you doing, Rick? Oh, I'm just hanging out here in an antique store. Not a chance, but I went. But what, what impressed me was the little cardboard sign in each of the little delicate cases. And it, it, they always say the same thing. Beautiful to look at, lovely to hold, but if you break it, consider it sold. Don't touch. And especially if you had little kids. Remember that? So the truth is, every day you and I walk through God's shop, the world, right? And it's filled with items of inexpressible value. They're precious in the eyes of God, and they're called people. Each one has a price tag, lepers, AIDS patients, children, old people, single people, married people, black and white people, wise and foolish people, saints and prostitutes. And God says about all of them, he or she is worth the life of my son. And all the signs in God's shop should say, please touch them. That's God's admonition to us. But we don't want to do what Jesus did. We don't want to get hurt, broken, stained. We're afraid of rejection. What will other people say? We're afraid. We're too busy. I have a lot of African-American friends who have literally colored my life. Literally. They have really added some pizzazz to my life. And I like the fact they shout and express themselves emotionally. White people are terrible. They will shout at a ball game, but not for Jesus. So I tell all my African-American friends, you never upset me. You never offend me. Probably the white guy next to you, you go ahead and shout. It's just all right. If I ever say something worth spit, you go ahead. You know, it, it'll be good for the rest of the crowd. Infect somebody near you. I'd like it. I don't see anywhere we have to be quiet like that. I, I, I was exciting in a rock and roll concert. Not, not so much with the Cowboys. I go out of town, they lose two games. What happened to my boys? Man, I was just sick. So I kind of thought, when I was in Berlin, Germany on this trip, I spoke five times. Berlin is a city of 3.5 million people. Beautiful city now. It was bombed into oblivion in World War II. But only 5,000 people go to church in Berlin. And this young couple from Australia, Mark and Joyce uh, Wilkinson, invited me to come. They don't have any big budget. They got less than 200 young adults there, full of life, but they're making an impact. So because I was on my way to Africa and I'm already in London, it's just about an hour and a half flight over to Berlin. So I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it and serve. Boy, was I glad that I did. What a great couple. What a great city. And in spite of the fact 5,000 people go to church, that means there's great opportunity to light a light in that city <coughs> that Hitler plunged into darkness. They took me to the Berlin Wall, remnants of the Berlin Wall. They took me a lot of places. And I remember looking at that wall, and I thought, the Scripture says Jesus broke down the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, rich and poor. He destroyed the wall. And yet you go to every church, and you'll find walls politically, economically, racially, walls, walls, walls. Everything is anti what Jesus said to do. 
We are not affiliated in this church because of political affiliation. That's your personal civil right, not a biblical right. Jesus didn't get to vote. That's your personal civil right. Exercise it. I respect you. But I'm simply saying to you, the church is not founded on a political affiliation ever. It's not based on male or female, and it's not based on race because all the Gentiles came into the church, women came into the church, upset everybody. If Jesus walked into Summit, he had upset a lot of you. Maybe even me. Maybe so. I think I'm pretty broad-minded, but I'll bet he would make me gasp, I'm sure. I'm sure. But I love it. I love an adventure. I love risk. And I love being what everybody else is not. Come on. Don't be a crowd follower. You know, Jesus broke down barriers everywhere he went. And I thought if the worst thing they said about him was that, he, that these bad people loved him and wanted to be around them, and so many of them changed, I want to be that kind of a person. I want to be that kind. I'm not sanctioning bad behavior. I, who, thinking about approachability, look at the people around you. You got any people that are far from God? Have you got any people that you might actually love, but they're not Christians yet? And God put you in that world to build a great friendship and maybe in time? Do you know I had an influence with a Muslim guy in London, Mohammed? The guy took my bags out of the car. This is several years ago, but I'll never forget it. And this guy looked like a bodybuilder. He was muscles and buff in his 20s, handsome-looking Middle Eastern guy, and he worked for the Hilton Hotel, and the Hilton had a jacket on, and that jacket looked like a little, uh, it didn't fit him. It was, it was horrible. didn't fit him. You know, ladies, it's like a training bra or something. I mean, it just didn't, it didn't fit. First thing I said to him, I said, Mohammed, you look awesome. You must work out. Now, bear in mind, Guests don't say that, unloading the car. You don't say that. Looked at him. I mean, the guy was incredible. And I said, oh, well, tell me about it. What do you do? And he was happy. He broke the ice. He talked. And I says, do you, how come they don't fit you here? They, well, they don't have anything to fit me. I says, how much does a jacket cost? He said, $500. I said, Muhammad, I'm going to give you $500, and I want you to go buy a jacket that fits and looks good on you. He said, you would do that for me? And, uh, yeah. So I went on in the hotel. Trevor's still down there with this guy. He doesn't know who I am, doesn't know what I do. And he said, who is that masked man? Who is he? And he said, he's a preacher of the gospel of Jesus. He said, no, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus. If, I've never seen anybody do that for me. And he said, if I become a Christian, my family will disown me. Now, you Christians have no idea what other people are up against. This is not a quick fix, believe and walk out. That's America. But that's not true in another culture. But I was impressed that the slightest little bit of generosity without any scripture, without any preaching, made such a big impact on Muhammad about Jesus, and I never even mentioned Jesus. Trevor told him. And I thought, sometimes you don't know your kindness. You're willing to help a neighbor. Your willingness to serve, to take care of something, maybe pay for something. I don't know. Has more of an impact than all of your preaching in the world, which is what Jesus did. He, he turned water into wine. He didn't even preach a sermon. He said, let's let this party get going. <laughs> I can see some of you. Oh, it's wine. Ooh, can't believe it. And then Jesus is called a wine bibber. And I thought, well, now, why would he be called a wine-bibber if he's drinking grape juice? Uh, yeah, uh, you never thought. 
You just memorized what somebody said. You didn't think about it. Mary was a surrogate mother. The Catholic Church has outlawed surrogate mother and called it a sin. I says, well, to the father, I says, that leaves Jesus. I mean, that leaves Mary out. She's a surrogate mama. And he said, I never thought about that. I said, the church has never been taught to think, ever. And so be careful who you get your counsel from, especially religious people. There are some good people, but be careful. Uh, So notice what happens. Jesus said, I do choose. Be made clean. He touched the guy. Then he rebuked the leprosy, and it went. Now notice what happened. This is the first time in recorded history of leprosy. Jesus touches the leper. The leper does not infect Jesus. Instead of him giving Jesus his sickness, Jesus gives life and health to the leper. He infects him. So Jesus said, leprosy be gone. And immediately it left him. Couldn't coexist with the power of Jesus. I guess you could call it the immaculate infection. Jesus infected him. Sin and suffering are not the only things that are contagious. Enthusiasm is infectious. Laughter is infectious. Faith is infectious. Hope and belief. The secret to health and spiritual life is not isolating yourself from sin and suffering in the world. That's not even possible. Jesus lived in the same contaminated environment all the rest of us did, and he walked right into it. But he was immune to the sin. You have obviously, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you ought to be able to be friends with somebody who's far from God without them affecting you. My friendship with wealthy people who are far from God, people living together far from God, people uh, stripping far from God or whatever, that doesn't make me want to take my clothes off. That doesn't make me want to do something evil. You're not going to infect me. I hope I will ultimately infect you, but you're not going to infect me. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in the world. So our community is broken down because of our fallenness, and the secret is to be so filled with the life of Jesus, to be so filled with the Spirit of God. When you touch the world, it doesn't infect you. You infect it with that infectious, immaculate infection of Christ's love. Now, we live in a contaminated planet, you would agree. We're destroying the ozone, polluting the air, water, transmitting diseases faster than we can heal them. So it's polluted physically and it's polluted morally. So the most logical thing is just quarantine the whole planet. It wouldn't be reasonable for God to go near a planet like ours. But God has this thing called irrational love. And instead of the world infecting him, he invades the world and infects it. He sent his son into the world to touch our lives. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to the disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. If you put yeast in dough, it spreads. So Jesus said, be careful. If you get around the Pharisees too much, their legalism, their exclusivism, their unapproachability can be contagious. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Then he switches and he says, he's talking about the kingdom of God. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It also is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour. She put a little bit of yeast in it. She comes back and the whole blooming thing is leaven. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. It can't be stopped. It's infectious. Put a little bit in a dark place, come back, and in time it will spread and infect the whole thing. That is why we are supposed to be infectious, Summit. 
And then look what happened in Mark 1, verse 45. The guy went out, started to proclaim his healing and cleansing freely. Jesus told the guy to keep quiet about the miracle. Leper couldn't help himself. His new faith became infectious. The leper proclaims it. Word began to spread like a germ, like a bad cold. People started catching it everywhere. We used to have a saying in the South, Christianity is more caught than taught. And it's pretty much true. We're supposed to leave this room and start infecting people in our home, culture, work, classroom, wherever we live and play. Germs of joy, germs of faith, germs of belief bacteria. We're, supp we're supposed to get out there and make people sick, spiritually good, infected with hope and life and forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you something. We could do a better job. I want that wall torn down, that curtain. I'm not leaving planet Earth till this sucker is filled. And that means some of you are not infecting anybody. You live in isolation, us four and no more, just my little family. But we're supposed to bring people. We're supposed to give people hope. Say, come on, it's going to be a little different than you're used to. It's not going to be like you thought it would be. I think you might even actually like it. You've got to infect people. Build a friendship. Offer to buy them lunch. But do something to bring people in here. We, God isn't just going to magically make people appear. They've got to be drawn to something. You're supposed to go out and tell your story. You say, well, my story is pretty nasty. Well, they need to hear it. They need to hear a nasty. I love Cynthia Garnett, who was here for Chosen. I spent a whole week with her in Africa. Love that girl. Her transparency, the hurt she's been through, and the ability to communicate it in a non-religious sort of a talk show uh, setting makes her very approachable and believable by people who have a lot of shame or hurt or abuse in their past, and it makes them easy to connect with her. Are you easy to connect with? No. Some of you get mad if somebody's in your seat. I thought we're supposed to be reading. Look, you can have my freaking seat. You can have mine, okay? I don't care. I'll sit on the floor. I'll go sit up here. If it means filling the place up, I've got, come on. That's okay. That's all right. Let's fill this place up. So let me ask you. We're done. Identify the untouchable people in your world. Could be somebody suffering right now. Could be somebody in deep shame. You know, the best time to talk to somebody is when they've lost everything, when they have fallen badly. They're, they don't have to pretend anymore. Now, you be a friend, and you'll get a bridge you couldn't buy in the good times. It could be somebody you work with. But the truth is, we serve an amazingly approachable God. Nothing gives him more joy than to stretch out his hand, break through the isolation, and touch you. God longs to make that immaculate infection a reality in my life and in your life. So you can infect your world. Just two things are involved. Kneel before God, at least spiritually, in your heart, humble yourself, and ask Him to touch you, even though you know you're not worthy at your greatest point of need. And the other is to find out who are the untouchable people in my life, and then be willing to do what Jesus did. Touch them. Reach out. And find that the Jesus kind of life is amazingly approachable. How about a good shout amen this morning? I did the best I could. That jet lag is telling on me. 
But I want that kind of a church. And you're going to be hard to find that. I tell you, I don't care. You're going to be hard to find it. You're going to find churches built on political affiliation. You're going to find churches affiliated only with race or some ideology or nationality. But you're not going to find it just like Jesus did. So my hope is that somehow we could shift the bar a little bit and raise uh, the bar of standard within a church so that when people walk in, they said, oh, my God, I, I, I can't believe they're here. I can't believe he's here. Would you look at that? Where did, how did these people get in here? I love that. I want them to get sunburn of the mouth when they see him too. Listen, everybody's welcome around Jesus. Everybody's welcome. Now, everybody's not welcome in leadership. That's a, the bar gets really high there, and there are certain clearly noted qualifications. But to come into the presence of Jesus, we used to, as kids, when we played hide-and-seek, ollie, ollie, and free, and everybody could come in without fear of being made it. Remember? Ollie, ollie, and Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, I died. I paid for your sin. I rose from the dead. Now it's ollie, ollie, and free. Come on. You don't have to hide. Come on. Come on. Bring your shame, your guilt, your sin. Bring your problem, whatever it is. Bring it to me. Come on. Ollie, ollie, and free. How about that? Amen. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.